Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. I need you to open your Bibles to two passages, Hebrews 11 and Genesis 26. Uh, we're going to be looking at a survey of the entire book of Genesis. So uh, I realize after first hour, only an idiot decides to cover 25 chapters in 25 minutes. So hold on. We're either going to be here a long time or I'm going to go really fast, one of the two. Uh, if you're visiting, my name is Mark, and I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here at the church, and we're glad you're with us. Uh, we've been studying the, the 11th chapter of Hebrews in a series called Facing Faith, because in that chapter, it not only defines faith as being the making a present substance out of a future reality and believing in God's goodness and knowing that he keeps his promises. It not only does that, but it illustrates it by showing the lives of people in the scriptures that demonstrate faith. And we've talked about some of the biggies, like Abraham and Noah. We've also talked about some lesser knowns, like Enoch and Abel. And in this series, what we're trying to do is let every single one of us see that faith demonstrates itself differently but it's always based on the core of who God is and how much we trust him. Today we're going to look at three men's uh, lives. It's only covered in three verses, as you just saw read for you from Hebrews 11. But these are famous. These are biggies to the Jews. And this letter was written, Hebrews 11, was part of a letter written to Jewish believers. And the challenge for us is to understand that when they mention the names Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph... Uh, For some, you may not even know their stories, and I'm going to introduce them to you. For those of you that know the stories, we're just going to survey, and I'm going to hop you through those, and I hope you'll use your bulletin to do your own research and read these passages at at a more uh, leisurely pace this coming week. But these stories are significant. If I began and say, hey, I'd like to tell you the story of Abraham Lincoln. He was a guy who was born in uh, Indiana or Illinois or Kentucky, depending which state wants to fight for him. He became the president, he was assassinated, and he freed the slaves. I wouldn't have to fill in a lot more detail because an American audience would know these stories. When the author of Hebrews mentions Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, he's alluding to the same kind of well-known historical figures. But for us today, they may not be as well-known. And what I'd like to do in this particular message is walk you through their stories and draw some similarities. So if it's new to you, hold on tight. And if you've heard it before, listen carefully, because I think you're going to see something in these three men's lives that help all of us live more demonstrably our faith. I'd like to begin by reading Psalm 37, 37, which is a promise of the Old Testament about those who trust. Consider the blameless and observe the upright. There is a future for the man of peace. The word future is the key word there. Today I'm going to talk to you about how faith can bring victory even in the face of defeat. That there's a future for those who live by peace. So we're going to begin uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. I'm going to jump, jump back to a passage we found in week uh, 2 or 3 of this series. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. One of the reasons this definition of faith is important to us is because we have to not only believe that there is a God that exists, but we also have to believe that he will respond to us And this is a reoccurring choice we make. This is not something you make in 1978 and then you just live on the benefit of it. You make it every day of your life. I make it every morning I wake up. Do I really believe God is here for me and am I here for God? 
And so faith is a response to all of that. In Hebrews 10.38, the author begins his whole journey into demonstrating faith by saying, my righteous one will live by faith. It's a life choice. It's an everyday interaction. And so I want to keep encouraging us as we go through this series to remember, we're not asking you to make a historical choice one date in time, and that's all you need to do. Faith is something that's alive. It's a muscle. We exercise it. It grows. We don't exercise it. It atrophies. And it won't have strength when we most need it to. So today we're going to look at three uh, characters. And uh, I'll try to do this as gently and quickly as I possibly can. Let's begin with Isaac. Isaac is the son of Abraham. We studied Abraham last week in this series. In Hebrews 11.20 it says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. Isaac knew about God and had relationship with God because of his father Abraham. Now, Abraham, who in in Genesis chapter 12 was given a covenant promise by God, he was promised several things. First, that he would possess a land. Second, that he would have a son. And third, that that son would create a nation that would bless the world. Isaac knew the promises of God. But yet Isaac saw some things that would cause all of us to pause. His father didn't have a land when he died. He had a burial plot for his mother. He had one, one son... But he actually had eight, but one's mentioned. And this Isaac hadn't produced a nation. He wasn't even married when Abraham passed. So when he looked at all that God promised, Isaac had a moment where he had to wonder, is any of this legitimate? Yet he believed because his father told him of the goodness of God. He believed beyond the moment. He believed beyond the the right now satisfaction. And he believed in a future. If you've been with us, we've had these moments where we said it's making a present substance out of a future reality. So uh, just kind of, I'm going to be talking about three people today, and two of them begin with J. So if you don't know the story, I'm going to allude to Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So if you see me dancing on stage, it's not that my boots are too tight. I want you to remember who I'm talking about now. So we're going to start over here with Isaac, son of Abraham. Had reason to wonder if the promises his father told him about would come true, but he believed in them. That's why in Hebrews 10.23 it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises is faithful. Each one of us has to own this. Isaac could not live on the faith of Abraham. He had to live on his own faith. And part of his faith journey was hearing from his father what was necessary. So I want to tell you a few things. And you're going to notice that these points are with all three of the guys we're studying. This is the symmetry. First is this. Isaac sometimes walked by flesh and not by faith. And when you hear walk by flesh in the Bible, that means lived under his own control rather than trusting the Lord. And it's found in Genesis chapter 26, if you want to look with it uh, at me here. Uh, It says here in Genesis 26, 6, so Isaac stayed in Gerar. Now what's interesting about that particular verse is it shows you a little bit about Isaac. God told him to be like his dad. I want you to be intense and I want you to go from town to town as I lead you. Don't put your roots down. What did Isaac do? Chapter 26, he put his roots down. He planted uh, to harvest. He, He planned to stay there. And this was against what God wanted him to do and it caused him problems. Because the king of that region saw Isaac and he saw his Uh, wife Rebecca and he was interested in Rebecca she was a beautiful young lady look with me at verse 7 when the men of that place asked Isaac about his wife he said she is my sister if you were here last week you might remember that we read a passage of scripture going into the story of Abraham where Abraham did the same thing with Isaac's mom he told the in Egypt he told the king that 
it was his sister because he was afraid they would kill him to have her. What does Isaac do? He was afraid to say, she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she is beautiful. Isaac does what he saw his daddy do, and that was lie to protect your own skin. Isaac tried to seize control, and whenever we are trying to be in control, we are not living by faith. We have to believe that God can protect us, and Isaac didn't. Now, I don't want to, because I know there's some children in the room, and I don't, just don't want to be gross and go too far with this, but I need to understand there is a lot of weak uh, study of Scripture that says, well, you know, when Abraham gave Sarah to that king as his sister, or Isaac gave Rebekah to this king as his sister, that they're probably, you know, nothing, nothing bad happened to them. I, I doubt that's the case. Because women were possessions... I have to believe that they sacrificed their wives' purity to protect their own skin. This was not a faithful act. This was a weakness, and it was a battle of the flesh. And then when it's discovered, because God revealed to both the kings about Sarah and Rebekah, in verse 9, so Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She is really your wife. Why did you say she's my sister? Isaac answered him, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Walking by the flesh does not get you where you want to go. It only gets you destruction, and it hurts innocent people. And haven't we all made a choice to protect ourselves that's harmed someone we loved? Because we're trying to remain in control. Instead of trusting by faith that God's words are true and his promises are true. But God worked. Here's the second thing I want you to notice. Even when we fail, God works through what faith we do have and can bring about greater purposes. Now, this is a difficult passage. I want to be honest with you. Uh, in spite of the lack of trust, God blessed Isaac, the liar, the one who risked Rebekah's safety and her purity. You see, it says in Genesis 26, 12, Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. And we look at that and we go, he won. He cheated and won. Awesome, right? Not, not necessarily. You see, I was taught not to lie, and yet I've lied, and I've had memorable moments where my lies have been exposed, and I've paid a big price, either in the loss of respect, punishment, remember being grounded, I, a lot of things taken away from me because I struggled with the truth. And I look at this and go, wait, this is unfair. Isaac lies, puts Rebecca in harm's way, and he gets blessed for it. So what do you get, like the ultimate hall pass if you're one of the patriarchs, right? Just do whatever you want because God's just going to bless you anyway. Be careful. Michael DeFazio said something to me after first service that's, I think, profound, and I wish I'd have thought of it first, but he's smarter. Here's what he said. Some of us men in this room, you're cheating. You're cheating at work, you're cheating at home, you're cheating in life, and you're looking at me going, hey, my life's working out okay. There's probably not even a God. I'm breaking all the rules, and I'm getting away with it. Be very, very careful what you think you're getting away with, because sometimes the greatest blessing in life is not to get more. Sometimes it's to receive less. Church, are you with me? Sometimes the greatest blessing in life is when God takes something away from you you think you need to show you you never needed it at all. It's become a God. So in this moment, what is, why does God bless him? I want to show you something significant. Because he had all these flocks, he had to have water for his, his shepherds, he had to have water for his animals. 
so they would dig a well. Digging a well was a difficult thing to do. It was hand dug. They couldn't bring in machinery and all the things we have today to, to dig wells. They had to dig them by hand. And they would dig these wells. And every time Isaac got a well dug to be able to take care of his flocks, the enemy, the people of the land, were so overwhelmed by how powerful he was becoming, they would come in and fill the well in. So Isaac would move his flocks and he'd dig another well. And the people would become upset at how powerful he was becoming and how he could take over so they would fill the well in. I want you to notice that in the text as you read the book of Genesis, four different times they filled in the wells. <clears throat> Excuse me. And those four times they filled in the wells. The fifth time he dug a well and he called it Bethel and they didn't fill in the well. <clears throat> you know what God had done? God had allowed the enemy to move him to the exact location he was supposed to end up. The fifth well was on the edge of the promised land. And because Isaac decided he was going to dig his feet in and he was going to choose where he lived, God said, I'm going to bless you right out of the country. And he blessed him right out of the country and put him right on the edge of the promised land. I love a God who's in control even when we think we are. Genesis 26, 24. And that fifth well... That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. This isn't about Isaac here. God's not blessing Isaac because he's Isaac. God's using blessings to advance his cause. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. See, Isaac was learning that you can be in control or you can let God be in control. One of them doesn't work, and the one always works. And this is the moral of this particular, because Isaac grew in his faith, and he passed on what was promised. Verse, uh, chapter 25, verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. He had several wives. In fact, he had four, and, but he was in love with uh, this, excuse me, he was in love with Rebecca here. The Lord answered a prayer, and his wife, uh, Rebecca, became pregnant. And the baby jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you will be separated. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will be, serve the younger. He didn't have four wives. That's his kid. I'll get there in a minute. I, I need to be standing here so I know where I'm at. Okay? We're with Isaac. So Isaac has his wife named Rebecca, and, and he loves Rebecca, and she can't have children, so he prays to God, and God gives her twins. And, he, and she cries out when she says, why am I going through this? I'm told it's a Hebrew idiom that means, can I survive? It was such a tumultuous birth that these kids were fighting within her. And God said, I'm going to give you two children. Uh, one will be much stronger and one will, will not be so much. But the younger one will rule the older one. And Rebecca remembers that and Isaac remembers that. And they have two sons. And these sons grow up to become <clears throat> powerful men. So let's jump to the middle now the story of one of those sons named Jacob. So you have the father who has these twin sons, and he has these two boys, Esau and Jacob. Esau came out first. Esau was a man's man. He was a little red furball. He was covered in red hair. And when he came out of the womb, his little brother was holding on to his ankle. I don't know if he was trying to pull him back in or get out quicker, but he was holding on for dear life. And they named him Jacob, which means heel grabber or usurper. Some people might say Jacob would have been better named conniver. He was always trying to get more than everybody else. He worked his entire life at that. So you have Esau. Now, Isaac loved Esau. Esau was a man's man. He'd have been on the front of ESPN, the magazine. He would have killed everything, won everything, four-star athlete. He couldn't have wore his letterman jacket, too many medals. Are you with me? And then, you know, where, where he would have been on ESPN, Jacob would have been on the Home Shopping Network. He was a mama's boy. 
He kind of hung out at home. He made cute things for the table, decorations. He, he just wasn't Esau. And Isaac was fascinated with Esau, and Rebecca loved her some Jacob. So as they get older, one's a stay-home guy, one's out in the field killing things. One day Esau comes in from the field, the Bible says, and he was famished. But he was such a right-now guy. We've got to be careful. He was such an in-the-moment guy that he saw his brother had made stew. And he said, if I don't eat stew, I'm going to die. And his brother said, well, if you want some of my stew, you have to give me your birthright. You were the first, but I should have been the first. Give me your birthright. And Esau does something that is ridiculous. And every one of us have done it. Esau says, I'd rather have a bowl of soup now and worry about a birthright down the line. I'd rather give up my future to have right now. How many of us have a little bit of Esau in us? Am I the only one in the room who's traded God's best for the right now feeling? The right now satisfaction? I'm not the only one, am I? See, we live in a world of Esau's. And Esau traded his birthright. And Jacob was one step closer to getting what he wanted. Everything the firstborn should get. And so Esau trades it. And as they get older uh, in their life, uh, it comes time for Isaac. He's growing old and he wants to pass on the blessing. He's going blind so he can't run things, so he wants to hand it off. And he wants to bless Esau. But Rebecca hears about it. She goes and gets Jacob. And she covers Jacob in animal skin. So when dad reaches out and touches the furry arm, he's going to go, that's my boy. Really? Your kid's got goat hair on his arms for the love. I mean, seriously. This kid needs to manscape or something. But he comes in and he sticks out his paw and his dad touches his arm. And he, mama put his, Esau's clothes on Jacob so he smelled like outdoors, earthy. And he touches his head, and Isaac's not stupid. Isaac says, you feel and smell like Esau, but you sound like Jacob. And Rebecca's right in there in the mix. So Isaac passes on the blessing to Jacob, who's playing the role of Esau. And Esau comes in, and he's devastated. But he shouldn't be devastated, because he passed off the birthright for a stinking bowl of stew. But he comes in, and he's devastated. This is what he says in Genesis 27, 38. Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him. Now, Isaac could have stopped here. He could have called deception. But Isaac remembers, God said the younger would rule the older. And even though Isaac was willing to change that, he bowed by faith to the promise. He says to him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth as riches, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw the yoke off from your neck. Esau paid a price for taking the now over the best that's yet to come. And so Jacob sometimes walked by flesh and not by faith. And we see that over and over. Jacob knows that Esau is going to kill him as soon as dad's dead, so he bolts. Rebecca sends him to her family, said, go live with your family. And there, Jacob falls in love with a young woman named Rachel. But two complications, which is really funny because sometimes God gets you with your own poison. And Jacob goes to live with his uncle, and his uncle's the biggest conniver as Jacob is. And he jacks around with him. So by the end of the time, Jacob, this guy, the middle guy, he's the one with four wives. He loves one of them. But, they, but he has children. And see, Rachel doesn't give many children, so he too prays and Rachel gives him a son named Joseph. This is the guy we're going to get to in a moment. But he also would then, 14 or 16 years later, she would give him a son named Benjamin, and she would die giving birth to Benjamin. So he buries her in this plot of land. Little does he realize 
he buries her in the promised land. Once again, God's working his way out through all of our tragedies and all of our victories. So you have this moment where Jacob goes and he lives in this other land. He ends up working, long story, but he ends up working about 20 years to have Leah and Rachel as his wives. And then he just, they start hatching kids like it's their job. They got boys and girls all over. The 12 tribes of Israel are all the kids of Jacob. Yet Jacob knows he's got to make peace and he's tired of fighting and fighting and everything he does is hard. So he learns to submit. And he begins to fall on his knees before God. You see, God will work through the faith we give him and bring about greater purposes. So he knows he must depend on God, so he turns to return home to make it right with Esau and to see his father before he dies. Jacob was learning that you don't have to be in control to be blessed and that the greatest blessing is trusting God's control. And when engaged on his return home, he falls asleep and he begins to wrestle with an angel. And they wrestle all night long. It just shows you the nature of Jacob. This isn't mythology. He is such a persistent person. He wants what he wants no matter the cost. And he wrestles and he wrestles and he wrestles. And finally at the end of it, the angel says, let go of me. And he says, bless me. And he said, I will bless you. And he reached down and touched Jacob's hip and dislocated it. For the rest of his life, Jacob would limp. And the angel said, I'll name you Israel. Your name's no longer Jacob, it's Israel. So if you don't know the story, this is why the nation of Israel, the 12 boys are called this. And for the rest of his life, he will drag that hip around, reminding him that when you wrestle with God, you get hurt. So if you want to walk free, do what the Lord says. And so he spent the rest of his life reminded of that. And he returns home, and Isaac is still alive, and he reaches his father, and he makes peace with his father. He makes peace with his brother, but he's still Jacob. Esau's like, we're good. You don't have to give me gifts. I'm doing well my tribe's increased, everything's fine. And Jacob's like, good. And then Jacob hauls about 30 or 40 miles away and lives because he just doesn't want his brother to wake up one day and go, you know what, I should punch him in the face. So he stays away. He still struggles with trust. And then we jump to this guy over here, Joseph. Joseph is where Isaac was likable and Jacob was conniving. Joseph's the golden boy. Hebrews 11 says, By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Joseph, 200 years removed from the promise to Abraham, believed what his father Jacob told him because Jacob believed what Isaac told him and Isaac believed what Abraham told him and Abraham believed what God told him. Do you see how this works? There is a legacy to our lives that instructs the next generation. And if we live our Christianity as just my private little moment with God, we are not blessing the nations like we're called to bless the nations. Generations need to know what we believe in. So Joseph was born to Jacob by the wife he loved named Rachel. And when he was born, Jacob said, God has taken away my reproach. In other words, God is going to bless me through this child. It was his 11th child, his 11th son. But he knew that the younger would rule the older. And so we have this. Genesis 37 begins the story of Joseph. And I'd like to highlight just a couple of things very briefly. Now Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. Now for those of us that grew up in the 1970s with the Joseph and the uh, Technicolor Dreamcoat, that's not biblical. 
great, great production, not biblical. I don't want you to picture that this looked like Departure's family bus. This is not what he was wearing. If that reference doesn't work for you, Google it. It's brilliant, okay? He didn't have this patchwork of all these mod colors. It actually probably was a very regal robe that had purple ornamentation on the bottom, which signified royalty. And I think that Joseph struggled by walking in the flesh because he paraded himself around. In fact, one time his dad, I want you to think about this, his dad sent him to check on the older brothers who were working, which meant Joseph was not what? Working. It was a hot summer day in South Bend, Indiana. The grass was about eight feet tall, if I remember correctly. And I had to start our old nasty mower. My dad would buy one mower a lifetime, and it had to last. And this thing would not start. Jesus couldn't have started this thing, I promise you. And I'm out there. I have no patience to start with. And I probably pulled that rope five, six, seven times. I remember even one time specifically pulling it so hard, I bashed my hand against the... And I could have picked that up. I became the Hulk. I could have thrown that three blocks away. I was furious. And about the time I pulled that and bashed my hand, I heard a voice on the porch say these words. Did you check it for gas? And I turned and looked to the porch and my little brother Eric was sitting on the porch drinking lemonade, offering me advice. I almost checked him for gas. And when I remember that moment, I think of Joseph showing up saying, hey dad wanted me to check on you guys to make sure you guys were working. And they snapped. And they got sick and tired of the kid with the golden hall pass getting away with everything. So they threw him down a well, and they were just going to let him die down there. I mean, this is not just me wanting to punch my brother for not ever having to cut the grass. This was a fury that was ungodly. And they threw him down a well, and the older brother went away because he was going to come rescue him later, and he came back, and they had traded him to slave traders. Genesis 37, 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Potiphar's officials, the captain of the guard, and... Joseph, whether he was naive or intentional, he flaunted his special status and it cost him his freedom. But God worked through his faith, the faith he had, and he brought him to a greater purpose. Joseph would spend time in prison. He would spend time in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife took a liking to him. Uh, This always cracks me up. The Bible says he was ruddy in appearance. I don't know what ruddy means, but she liked it. And it said day after day after day, she solicited him to have sex with her, and she was a powerful woman. And I want you to understand Joseph's faith. Because who, who would believe that a powerful woman, uh, who would ever turn her in? He could have had relations with her. He could have finally said, it's about time I get something out of this. I've been a good kid and look what happened to me. But instead, he said, how could I do this to my God? And he turned her down and she couldn't stand being turned down. So she called rape. They convicted him. He went to prison for it. And you think, where's God in all of that? God was in all that. Because while in prison, God gave Joseph the ability to interpret dreams And it saved the nation of Israel because he interpreted Pharaoh's dream and Pharaoh was impressed and he said there's going to be seven years of bounty followed by a severe famine that's going to devastate the world. And Pharaoh said, you're in charge. And Joseph, led by God, put all these provisions in place in so much that this small nomadic group of people in Jacob's household were moved to Egypt and protected. Do you see? Isaac believed, Jacob believed, and now Joseph believes and Joseph's used by God. The story's more amazing than I can tell you so quickly. I want to whet your appetite. Because in those moments, then Joseph can spare his family. And there's a great moment of forgiveness where Joseph has to forgive his brothers who traded him for animals, lied about him being dead. He wondered if they'd killed his little brother Benjamin because they know how much dad loved Benjamin too. 
And you have all of these moments going on. Now I want to jump back here to the middle. Now we have Jacob. He's older. He thinks he's lost Joseph and he understands Joseph's alive and he realizes that God would bless all of them through the younger. So he brings him in. In verse 21 of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. So he brings them in. He calls the kids in. He says, I'm gonna, uh, my life's about over and I'm going to pass the blessing. And he blesses all the boys. But the best blessing is for Joseph. But he brings Joseph in. And he doesn't bless Joseph. This is really fascinating. He takes Joseph's children and he says in Genesis 48, they're mine. Your sons are my sons. So actually, Jacob doesn't have 12 sons. He has 13 now. And he says, I'm going to bless them. Look at me at, with me at Genesis 48, 14. Israel reached out his right hand and he put it on Ephraim's head. Though he was the younger, and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. And then he blessed Joseph and he said, May the God before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm. This is... I want you to pause there. If you don't get it, what Jacob is like, I have been so stupid. My entire life I fought against God and he has delivered me and delivered me and delivered me. And now I'm going to show you how he delivered me. It's powerful. So he goes on and uh, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my father, Abraham and Isaac. And may they increase greatly upon the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand, the hand of blessing, on Ephraim's head... He was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused. Jacob is still who? Jacob. He looks at Joseph and he goes, I got it. I was the youngest and I was blessed. Isaac was the youngest and he was blessed. I'm going to bless your youngest son because God told me to. He says, I got it. I know my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. Genesis 48. Then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. Abraham. God will deliver the land. Isaac. God will deliver the land. Jacob. God will deliver the land. Now we go to Joseph. Joseph's old in age, he grew in faith and he passed on what was promised. 200 years later, Joseph realized he didn't have to make the way, God would make the way. So in Genesis chapter 50, verse 24, Joseph said to his brothers, Dad's gone, the brothers thought Joseph would finally get vengeance, just like Jacob thought Esau would get vengeance. And Joseph said, no, no, I'm not about vengeance. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. But he said, here's what I want us to do. I'm about to die But God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath, and he said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. Here's what I want you to take out of today. Our faith is not based on our perfection. It's not based on our intelligence. It's not based on how well we do. Our faith is based on that God will work through any faith we give him to work through. And the degree of blessing in our life, the degree of God's work in our life is only contingent upon our belief that God is good and he can be trusted. 
Isaac made mistakes and he made selfish choices, but when he turned to the Lord, the Lord delivered every promise. Jacob made mistakes, he made poor choices, and he tried to make his own way. And it wasn't until he spent the rest of his life limping that he understood God could be trusted. And God delivered every promise, even so much that Jacob crossed his hands on his grandsons and he says, God seems to be wanting to work to the youngest. The youngest is going to receive the blessing. And Joseph, whose life was tore up, realized that God allowed him to go through everything he went through so he could deliver his father and his brothers to life. And he looked at his brothers and he said, here's the promise. One day God will deliver me to the promised land. Do not leave my bones in this foreign land. I'm not from here. I'm from there. When we make a present substance out of a future reality, we're walking by faith. I have to ask you this question. If none of God's promises happen to you in this lifetime, is he still your God? If you end up going to prison for charges of things you did not commit, is he still your God? And do your children and your grandchildren and your brothers and sisters know that when we say goodbye on our deathbed, we're not saying goodbye for long. We're saying, I will see you in the promised land because our God will deliver every promise he's ever made. And the greatest promise is we will walk free in resurrection because of Jesus Christ. Do we believe that today, church? Then we already have victory, even though it may look like we're losing. We win. Like our father Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and even our father Joseph. Let's leave a legacy that begins today. I know where I'm going. I know God is able to deliver, and I will trust him. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.